Now on the Amped Up to 11 podcast, professional musician, executive, and motivational speaker, Todd Waits. After losing his arm and shoulder to cancer at 14 years of age, followed by nearly two years of rigorous treatments, plus another surprising diagnosis of thyroid cancer in late 2014, Todd has made the best of the cards dealt to him. People who know Todd Waits say he has already lived a life of 10 men. Ask Todd, and he says he's just getting started. Todd inspires so many in the limb loss community and beyond. His public speaking engagements include schools, churches, and corporations. It is our pleasure to introduce Todd Waits. Mr. Todd Waits, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm fantastic. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Good to see you on this uh, wintry, wintry, uh, crazy day with lots of snow in Chicagoland. I know you're in Ohio. Did you guys get any snow today? We didn't. We we got all of the warnings of snow, but but no snow. So I'm okay with that. Ah, I see. So one of those deals where everyone hunkers down and then realizes, oh, there's no snow. We can actually go out and do things today. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, and anyone that's from Chicago knows that we get pounded every single year. There, there, there is no such thing as it not arriving as far as you know large accumulations of snow, but we're always wondering when it's when it's officially going to arrive. And today is the day. And it was, wow. it was a little, day of all day. yes, it was a little treacherous getting to the studio today, but I'm glad you're here. I appreciate you spending the time with me and I have definitely read up on you and am so incredibly inspired by the many wow. facets of your amputee lifestyle, given your public speaking, being a fellow musician like myself, and also, um, you know, being successful in the corporate world and continuing to, you know, represent a beacon of light for so many people with limb differences that sometimes you just make it look easy, sir. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. It actually, you know, I'll say it is kind of easy because everything, everything I do, I'm passionate about and that's the key. So thank you for that. Oh no, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely heartfelt. And um, the thing that just sort of jumped off the page for me, being that I am a product of the 80s, um, was I read somewhere that you helped the keyboardist from Bon Jovi uh, during a period of time when he had a hand injury. Uh, can you explain to me what that was all about, that you helped... What's the guy's name? David Bryan. David Bryan. Yeah, yeah. You, you helped him in, in what regard? Like what, what was the circumstances surrounding that particular situation? Yeah, thank you for asking. So um, there was a back back when we actually read magazines, uh, there was a magazine called Keyboard Magazine. Uh, and you know, being a long, long time keyboard player, my favorite magazine, all my my heroes were always in this, and I was actually in it. This was probably um, 96, 97, somewhere in there. And uh, 
about a week later, I was on the phone with the editor of the magazine and he said, hey, look, David Bryan just cut off part of his finger uh, doing some, some woodworking. And he has this big tour coming up and he has a, a, a nerve issue because he, now he can't use that finger. And he connected us and, and I just kind of gave him some, some tips and pointers and, and how, how to play without that missing finger. And so that was really surreal, you know, just being some, some guy playing in local bands and, uh, and all of a sudden was on the phone with this, this, you know, great player. And then he, we, we kept in touch and he, he um, sent me a reference letter and all this kind of stuff. So, so wow. things kind of took off from there uh, on a national level. No, that's, that's a really, really interesting story. And, you know, we, we like to find the blessings where we can, when, when you lose a limb, you, you sort of try to savor those particular moments when it would appear that this thing that is different about us um, puts us into sort of a space or a situation that we feel blessed and say, well, that would have never happened if I did not be put into the circumstances that I'm in right now. And, you know, you, you losing a limb, you know, at a very young age, I think your perspective is pretty important so did you play piano before you lost your arm? I did. I, I, I lost my arm at 14. <coughs> Excuse me. Is I, I lost my arm at 14, but I had started playing the keyboards, tinkering around with this, this organ we had at home. My parents had when I was four and started mm -hmm. taking formal lessons when I was seven. So I had a lot of, I had a lot of years into the instrument. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's that's always fascinates me too because obviously there's there's some hard wiring that occurs as a musician and then suddenly finding out okay um I have I have cancer something is going to happen where I'm going to lose my arm and how is that going to affect all of the things that you were interested in at 14 14 you know, I can only put myself, you know, back into that moment myself, you know, 12, 13, 14. As a drummer, I would say it was definitely around that age. Although I started at five, you know, my parents went out and bought me the, you know, the toy drum set with the paper drum heads, you know, from like, you know, Kmart or something. And yeah. I, I messed around with that as a kid. But I would say probably probably in that like 12, 13 range, that's when I, I did, and I don't know how you feel, but I definitely had that moment of, hey, like, I want to do this. This is important to me, and I want to be really good at it. So knowing that about myself, I can't help but go to your life and think, gosh, if I had lost my right leg at 14, would I have continued that pursuit? Would I have thought, well, my right leg being the kick drum, would I, would I have said, oh yeah, I can still do this? Or would I have just said, eh, obviously drums is not for me. So when I think about yourself at 14, now knowing that you played piano uh, for, for many years, up until that moment, what, 
I mean, what was that process like for you? How would you describe that part of your adaptation as a musician? It's really interesting. Um, it would be great to have some kind of heroic thought to say, right? Well, man, I just trudged on. and I. But the reality is, is that I just didn't know life any other way. And um, music, specifically keyboards, was such such a part of my life. And when I say it was such a part of my life, I mean, all I ever wanted to be was a rock star. That's all, all I ever wanted to be my whole life. I still want to be that. And um, so my situation changed, but my goal didn't change. And, and what I kind of perceived myself as being and what I was purposed to do didn't, didn't change. It was just a matter of, of trying harder. And the interesting thing was, I was ready to put the work in and I was ready to do whatever it took. And it was perfect timing because, um, you know, you, you know, if, if you've ever seen me speak somewhere, you would know, know the story, but, um, to condense it, you know, I learned on that big organ I was telling you about, but when it was time to buy a professional keyboard to play with guitar friends or, or drummer friends, it was hard to lug an organ around. So I saved up to buy a portable keyboard. And, and that was the thing in my life that I thought once I had that, there would be no obstacles. And um, the day that I was supposed to buy it was on a Saturday. And the Friday night before that was when I threw a football, my arm broke. Nobody knew why I had no idea what was about to happen. So I bought the keyboard the next day. So when you look at the marriage of, um, you're going to lose your arm, but you just got this new keyboard was uh, my way of, and I, and I really feel, you know, God's way of saying all of the chemo treatments, all of the stuff you go through, you're going to remember bits and pieces, but it's really going to be a blur because your time's going to be spent relearning how to play with the shiny new keyboard. Mm. And that's really how it went down. So it was kind of an easy transition. Now I had to take, I took a bunch of music theory classes. I did all of that so that I understand the mechanics of music, uh, which really helped. But again, to, in a, in a, I told you I'm not an orator, I'm a rambler. But that's all to say it, it wasn't some kind of heroic thing. It was a natural progression in life, something that was already a big part of my life um, that I just wanted to keep in my life. Yeah, and I think you're right. And you're not rambling. And and that that evolutionary sort of concept that I always sort of press into about how life tends to just kind of move in a way that we adapt, we change, we evolve. There's forward movement. And yes, of course, we look back and we say, oh, wow, like there was a lot of stuff that happened. But in the day-to-day, -day, in the hour-to-hour, -hour, so sometimes it doesn't necessarily feel that way. I want to talk a little bit more about the cause of your amputation. Um, I'm a little bit fuzzy on that. So you're saying sure. that that you're, you you threw a football was the breaking of your arm was that kind of like like the tipping point or did you as as a child did you know like there was something wrong like you were let's say you were in pain or or there was some discomfort like how how did that diagnosis come to be So it was the breaking of the arm that revealed that I I had no pain no symptoms Wow um there, there was none of that. So, so just a normal it, kid it playing sports. Weakened bone, you know, because of the cancer, and and that's how they found it. 
So just a normal kid playing sports and you go to throw a football and suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, I think I broke my arm. And of course, imaging is done, all, all of that stuff. And what, what, is, what was the form of cancer? What was it? The technical form, osteogenic sarcoma. Okay. It was a, it was a childhood bone cancer. Yeah. And um, it, it was rare back then. And I don't know if it's because I pay attention to the community or not, but it seems to not be as rare as it used to be. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think, I think uh, you know, as I've gotten older, I, I feel comparatively to, let's say, people of my parents' generation, there seems to be a lot more transparency about illness now. Um, you know, my, my folks came from that sort of culture of, you know, when you're sick, you really don't talk about it. It's sort of like hidden away. Um, I know when I was struggling with my health, it, I could tell it made my parents uncomfortable, <laughs> of, of course, in the sense that they were worried about me, but also almost as if they were trying to protect me from judgment because there's sort of this like this guilt thing that goes on like sure. like how did this happen to you and it, it, you know my parents are that generation of whose fault is this right and i always find that interesting because i never felt that way when i got sick and i always felt well this is just sometimes what happens and right. this is just part of my path. This is part of my journey. And um, I'm going to learn how to adapt and change with it. So, um, yeah, I, I find all of those, those kinds of things very fascinating. And I do appreciate when someone like yourself can be so forthcoming and, and offering of your story to help others feel that whatever they're going through on various levels, it's a lot more normalized at that point. And I think that supports people that are dealing with um, chronic illness like cancer. And um, again, you know, rewind, you're 14, you know, you want to play that shiny new keyboard, but let's step out of that for a moment. You're a young teenager and as as a young teenager, like most of us, that can be a very awkward time. That can be an uncomfortable time. And fitting in, being cool, all the things that we're, we're, we're trying to be, or let's say pretending to be when we're that age, because we're sort of like, you know, I, I don't, you know, there's all those insecurities and how, how do I, how do I navigate friends and relationships and you know, all of those things. What was the emotional set that you went through, you know, lo losing um, your arm and uh, was it your arm and your shoulder or just your arm? Explain yeah, that. I, I don't I didn't have a shoulder at all. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so it was that and it was going through the chemotherapy. So I was, I was on chemo for almost two years. So, mm. you know, all in the same conversation with my doctor was, we have to take your arm and you're going to be on chemotherapy. You're going to be sick. You could yeah. Lose your hair for a while. You know, all, all of the things that go with that. And, um, it's really strange when I look back, there was certainly some emotional impact 
that I had, but I don't think I realized that I did. So I was very fortunate in the, the town I, I lived in. I grew up in a, in a town called Strongsville, Ohio. It's near Cleveland. We had two what we called junior highs, which now are called middle schools. And then those, those um, junior highs funneled into one high school. And it's almost like no matter, no matter how goofy you are, whatever, you know, you within you, your mom always tells you you're the greatest, you're this, you're that. And it was kind of the same thing when I when I was surrounded by people in my school, I didn't go through anything crazy. I didn't go through um, much bullying and, and much ridicule and things like that. So the positivity was was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go through a lot of the emotional stuff until I branched out of that. Now, all of a sudden, there were kids from the other middle school. You know, even though we were in the same town, we were separate. Um, and I and I just remember I was at a high school football game. And um, I wasn't I wasn't really allowed to do much because of being on chemotherapy. Um, your white blood counts down. You can't be around people. You can't get sick because if you get a cold, it can it can be the end of you just from that. But I just remember kind of being like, wow, I'm out. I'm with my friends. This is really nice, you know, very kind of a, a nice moment. I was bald from the chemo and, and you know, was was pretty sickly. Getting used to being left-handed, getting used to having one hand. And, and uh, I'd gotten separated from my friends and somebody came up to me from the other school and uh, asked if he could borrow my comb, right? It was just just making making fun of me. And that's when I realized, like, I, I you know, everybody gets picked on a little bit growing up and, and it's not as big of a deal. But that's when I realized, well, what a, what a, cruel world that it mm. can be out there yeah um and you mentioned you know you're awkward you're 14 you're trying to figure out am i am i the cool guy am i what where do i stack up yeah in, in, in the social dynamic of things yeah. and um that started letting me know maybe maybe i'm i'm not as high up on the list as, as what i've always thought you know yeah. on the level of, of cool and popularity um and so that was that was the start of some emotional stuff for me and people people didn't really believe that i could still do the keyboard thing you know people always encouraged me they they you know oh that's great you want to do that but you need you should focus on this or you should focus on that and so understanding that climate too of well gosh i have this crazy goal that in dream that not a lot of people believe in you know so that manifested itself later probably three or four years later after the amputation where the emotional part kind of kicked in yeah that makes a lot of sense and i feel like for let's say through the lens of a young person when people know your story they're invested they're sort of those cheerleaders on the sidelines of your life and they can create you know a lot of momentum for you. But once you step outside of that particular orbit, and now you're just, I mean, I can say this because I'm an amputee too. You're just some dude that's, you know, missing a, a body part, right? Then it just yeah. becomes strange and awkward. And I would think at that age, for someone who who themselves is very insecure, because let's face it, a lot of that kind of talk, that bullying. It, it comes from people that are insecure themselves. It, it's it's a way for someone to feel better about themselves is to push others down. So, but when we're 14 
<laughs> we don't really realize that. We just feel as if we're being attacked. So I admire the way you sort of explained it in like parsing it out a bit. And that that gives a better understanding because when when I meet anyone, let's say in who's usually I, I will meet a parent because you know parents will reach out to me when a sure. when a child has lost a limb, uh, you know s someone that is uh, going through uh, a family situation, you know very very often their biggest fear is oh gosh are are they going to get bullied are they ever going to you know, be in a, rela a committed relationship? Are they going to be accepted? Are they going to be able to find find work and do all those things? And and, and my answer is um, absolutely. They will do everything and more. They will exceed all your expectations. Just do what you are best at doing. Love them, support them, and just keep being present. And that's 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 your job. It's 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 not to pretend that this isn't happening. It's not to pretend that yeah things are a little different, but at the same time, there is no reason why your kid isn't going to achieve great things. And um, obviously, your your life and you know I have I have seen uh, some video on your public speaking. Um, a lot of that uh, comes through you know, re resonates and a lot of that messaging, I find, you know, very valuable, very positive. I want to talk a little bit more about you technically as a musician. So, you know, I've only been an amputee. I'm going into my seventh year now. And because I'd been a drummer my whole life, I mean, my body was just programmed. I mean, I, yeah. it, 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 you know, there were, there were a couple times in my 20s when I took a right-handed drum kit and I turned it into a left-hand drum kit, just because I was trying to build independence, but it, I failed miserably at it. I mean, I was just like, I, I, you know, I can't do this. It's just not, it doesn't feel right. So obviously losing my right leg, I thought, okay, well, kick drum's kind of important, you know? <laughs> kind of drives kind of drives the whole thing it's kind of, it's kind of like losing the accelerator on your car you know like we're not going anywhere now um so for me i i had this before i could get into a prosthesis and and adapt to using a prosthesis uh while i was playing i was so desperate to play that i set up a remote uh pedal um kick drum pedal for my left foot and I still played right-handed, but I was using my left foot to drive the kick drum over here, let's say. And I have to say, um, it actually went pretty good. I mean, you know, I, I, I wasn't playing like, you know, Dream Theater or anything, but I mean, I was at least able to play some, you know, basic sort of rock, country, you know, no jazz, yeah. but you know, just able to do some, some basic stuff that sort of fed my monster to play. And that was so important to me because it sent me the message that even if you don't acclimate to a prosthesis, even if you remain in a wheelchair, which thankfully, you know, th those days are, are long ago, 
um, like you could do this. You could still actually enjoy your instrument and, and who knows, maybe perform someday. So of course, once I got into prosthesis, it was like, all right, I'm done with that. Let's make this work. And embracing, you know, all of what my brain already was wired to do. Um, then it was just an, uh, a matter of acclimating to how how it felt to kick a bass drum. The only way I could describe it is if like your whole leg is numb, you know, because there's no touch. You 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 can't you can't really tell where your foot is. So okay. when I think about what you do, okay, as a keyboardist, piano player, given that you were you were still pretty young, and like you said, it was just you know, I, I just, I just had to keep moving things along. Um, how, how, how would, uh, a keyboardist with two hands through, through their eyes, how would they describe, you know, what you're doing or how it's different? Because again, I'm a drummer. I hit things with sticks. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not all that intelligent when it comes to music. Uh, <laughs> so when you start, you know, mentioning like music theory and stuff like that, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, yeah, uh, what's that? <laughs> what, what, what's music theory? <laughs> uh, I just know play it this fast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, if your meter's not good, none of us are going to be good. So I appreciate yeah. that. No, meter and groove I know are super important to everyone in the group. Um, but again, I'm fascinated because obviously what I know about, you know, someone playing piano or keyboards is you need your hands. So how do you, how do you, how would you describe to, let's say a lay person like myself? Well, well, this is how I compensate that. I can never share my secrets. <laughs> I, <laughs> It's a lot of different things. Secret sauce. I don't, I don't want to diminish what I do because I love what I do. But I'm not a classical pianist, but my goal was never to be that. Mm. But I know that if that were my goal, um, I would have figured out a way to do that. And that's not a brag on me. That's just a brag on anybody who is passionate about anything. You shine a spotlight on something and you'll, you'll figure it out. But, um, you know, I'm more of a, more of a, a, a rock player. And there are some complicated keyboard parts. Um, I've, I've had to, to learn to really maximize each of my fingers and understand that uh, each, each of them matters at every time. And so the, the great thing too, I, I know a lot of people and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not my thing. We'll, we'll play the tracks or we'll sequence, you know, keyboard players will sequence parts that play for them. And I, and I've been very staunch on not, not doing that, that I, you know, I need to play everything live. But with modern technology comes the ability to do that probably more now than ever. Meaning, um, you know, if you look at a piano and, and you look at, okay, if I have five fingers and I could reach um, an octave plus a few notes, just say, um, in, in, in simple terms, you know, I, I can make it so that what I'm playing with my pinky sounds like I'm playing that an octave or two lower mm. and that what I'm playing with my thumb is, is an octave or two higher. So now... I have spanned that whole keyboard with two notes and then whatever I do with the other fingers matters within that, that context. So it's um, almost like, uh, too, but it's almost like understanding the, the sort of the spectrum of sounds that can get you the result that you're looking for 
but also testing the physicality of your hand and making sure that you're covering as much real estate as possible and having a deep understanding of what you're trying to get out of the instrument enough that you can use every finger to its fullest. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's easier than others. Um, but my goal was to be, um, I mean, I'll, I'll never be the greatest keyboard player in the world, but my goal was to be able to, to be a decent keyboard player for somebody with two hands, not somebody with one hand, right? Like you, you would not look at yourself and say, I guess I'm an okay drummer considering I only have one leg, right? You would say, well, I've, I've worked hard at this and chiseled this wood enough that, that I'm a, I'm a contender of a drummer against somebody with, with two legs. Not that it's a competition, but no, that's the goal, right? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, so it's just make, making that work. And and I, I play, I play in, in a lot of bands, um, over the years and, and play with some folks now. And you had mentioned eighties. I, I play in an eighties tribute band here in Columbus. That's a big show with spark machines and, and the fog and the, we wear wigs and sunglasses because we're just not as cool as we once were, but amazing musicians, which means that what, what I do is just one of five people, right? So the niche that I fill, the, the bass player covers the, the bottom end so well. And the guitar player does what he does, and the singer does what he does, and drummer, you know, all of that. We have a sax player. We even have a bagpiper. I mean, it's just it's just a really fun show, and everybody does what they do well. So as long as I show up and do what I do well as a unit, it's it's going going to be great. So if you're ever in Columbus, Rock House, Rock House Columbus, come come see. The yeah, show. we have a Rock House in uh, Illinois as well. So. I'm familiar with them. The singer has kind of longer, curly. Drill Harry's fantastic. I've seen their videos. Yeah, no, that's that that's awesome. And uh I, you know, I I appreciate the sentiment and I I think that for musicians especially, you know, the idea of losing your ability to do something that you're so, you know, passionate about and that's so important to you, um I just wasn't willing to give it up. I just wasn't. And, you know, obviously you were, you were just a kid full of dreams and you, you weren't going to let any of that get in the way of your dreams. And, you know, even today, you know, at my, my, (laughs) the age that I'm at now, you, you never really lose that desire to, to, to want to perform, to want to create to enjoy the energy that's shared between musicians, all of that is such a gift. And yeah, you know, you look at some of these these you know elderly guys out there still doing doing these you know huge tours, and yeah, and and you can argue, well, it's a money thing, but I don't know. I I think a lot of them just don't want to let go of the vibration the buzz that they get from playing live. There's nothing like yeah. it. It's, it's indescribable. And um, not that I don't enjoy recording. Recording can be a, a really neat experience as well. But there's no greater feeling than feeling a reaction, feeling that energy from other people that are enjoying music and appreciating I- that process, that creative process. 
Um, so thank you for that. I, I, I want to switch gears here and I want to talk a little bit about your public speaking because I, I, I know that you engage uh, kids. I know you engage, you know, church. I know you engage uh, corporations. So when you're coming at this with a speaking engagement, you have a particular group, what what kind of prep, I mean, what do you do to make the fine adjustments necessary to reach any particular audience? What is that like for you? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that because my experiences and story remains the same, right? That's the common thread yeah. in every speaking event. And I do bring a keyboard. I play a little bit. I tie it into music and I tie it into what was happening at the time that I was going through that. And I play some music from, from those eras. But there's the, the culture of where I am at the time. You know, if you're, if you're in Indiana, the culture is different than when you're in California speaking to kids. Yeah. Now, a lot of it is the same meaning, hey, everybody wants to be like, everybody wants to know that they matter and people want to know that, that they're heard. Um, but that means different things in different situations and different cultures. So a lot of it is based on that understanding, you know, what, what, what are the challenges of the people here? So at schools, it's where, where are the challenges of the kids? And I do a lot of elementary school kids and I do, you know, middle school, high schools, corporations, it's a different delivery, but the same challenges. Um, so oftentimes I'll ask people individually, tell me what you do for this organization. And the people who have some kind of VP title, director title, C-level title, they're very proud of that. But when you ask the person that maybe doesn't have the fancy title, um, they're not as proud of what they do, but yet they should be, you know? And so I'll break it down to, I'll take a song example and I'll break it down into parts of a song and I'll demonstrate it live. Look what happens when I take out this part of the song. It's not, it's not the same song. And so, it's just based on where I'm speaking and, and what the goal is, what, what the goal of, of that. Out. Yeah, and, but what, know, when, what when a really, first... really cool way to demonstrate why all the components are critical. I mean, music is such a great example. We've all sat in a studio and heard, and heard you know, tracks that are isolated. And, and the first thought we have is, wow, that, that sounds really strange all by itself. Right. But then you sort of see the layers, you know, and how that comes together so beautifully. And for you to project that and say, okay, I'm going to show you a a piece of music and I'm going to take out what you might think is inconsequential or let's say not really as important. And you might be feeling that way in this whole grand design. Now, check this out. Here's 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 when we don't have that. Here's when we have that. You're pretty important to this. I I think that's sure. such a great that's such a great analogy. It's such a great way to get those people to understand that those key elements of a, a work culture or team are super important. So, I mean, that's great. And I mean, reaching kids, I would think you know, I mean, what, what's typically the reaction? Because 
your your uh your limb loss is is certainly you know very overt um it's it's not it's not something that you know pe- people don't see immediately especially you know when you're talking cuz i i've seen you speak on video you know and you do use your hands a lot so it's like right away okay something's going on there and do you ever feel like you're navigating sort of based on that energy or that reaction? Very much so. Um, I have to use a slide deck to show pictures to remind me of where I am in the story because most of what I do is off the cuff. Again, the story remains the same, but I, I, I'm so reactionary to how mm-hmm. I'm being responded to. One of the, it's, it's funny. Um, one of the things you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back a bit when we're talking about schools, but when you're talking about when a parent reaches out to you, which I love that you make yourself available to parents and, and the things that they're worried about that you mentioned, you know, basically, is, is my kid going to be okay? Are, are they going to be able to work? Are they going to have a spouse? Are they going to have this? Are they going to have that? The crazy thing is you don't have to have a kid missing a limb to worry about those things, right? I have four kids, two of them are older and they're out on their own and married, but I have two younger ones. I, I wonder about that and worry about that for them and they have, they have everything. Um, these kids need, need to know that those questions are up to them. That, you know, you could have really crazy, crazy dreams and just because they're crazy and just because your neighbors don't think that you can achieve that, you get to pin that on yourself if you can or not. And it sounds so simple and it sounds so easy, but nobody told me that when I was that young. Nobody, you know, I didn't grow up. I grew up just having my own, my own wants and dreams and, and all of that. And nobody told me that I should chase all that stuff until, until I was older. So the younger these kids are and the younger that they, they stand up and, and just know I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be successful in life. And success means a lot of different things, as you know, regardless, I'm going to chase this because if I don't, nobody else is going to for me and I'll have to go live somebody else's dream. And, you know, I tie that a lot into anti-bullying is the big buzzword, you know, when I speak about bullying um, and and the importance of not only not being the bully, you know, feeling bad for where they come from, but the fact that bullying then makes you not see yourself in that way. I use this sometimes at Halloween, you know, the kids that celebrate Halloween. I just, I remember dressing up as Superman. And in those moments, I felt like I was Superman, right? Remember those days and and girls dress up as as very pretty princesses and they believe that they are those things. But then the world comes in and tells us, well, you're not that. You're not, you're not a princess. You're not pretty enough. You're not strong enough to be Superman. You're not this, you're not that. And all of a sudden you realize what you're not rather than what you are. And, And so- the schools, I, I focus on that a lot. The middle school, high schools, I get into anti-drugs, um, even anti-suicide, if, if administrators are okay with that, because that, that's all part of it. And those get pretty heavy. But for the most part, um, man, it's 90% fun and funny. At least I think, I think I'm funny. Um, <laughs> no, definitely. Wife, definitely great sense of humor, you know, from, from the show prep that I've done and the reading I've done and some of the video blogs that I've seen. Um, I want to pivot. Uh, let's talk about uh, 2014. Um, 
thyroid cancer. Yeah. So, I mean, w- was there any part of you that was like, what the F's going on here? There was all, all parts of me that were saying that. I bet. Um, you know, when I had cancer the first time, I, I hate to reveal my age, but I, it was in 1982 when I was 14. And I, that was my story of my past. That was my, you know, that's what I went through. So, over, you know, I'd never revisit that again. And just like the first time, there were no symptoms, there were no issues, and it, it showed up during, during some tests. And I, I went dark for sure. I mean, when I was 14 and I had cancer, I was invincible. When I had kids and a wife and people that relied on me, I no longer was invincible. And I realized I was, I wasn't in charge and, um, didn't know what the future held. And they removed the the cancer, which was great. I have, you know, half a thyroid now. But add to that, when they did the surgery, my vocal cord bent. And so my, my voice <clears throat> was used for so much, um, and, I, and I didn't really have a voice. It took me a long time to be able to say full sentences without being exhausted because my vocal cords weren't connecting. Mm. So I had to take, take some singing lessons and things like that just so that I had a voice. But it was a dark time thinking... Now that's stripped away from me. Like first, first the keyboard thing could have been stripped away from me. Um, and that was some, some work, you know, to get that to be still part of my life. And now I don't really have a voice, which meant a lot of things to me. And I didn't feel well, like the thyroid thing is a, is a weird, weird thing anyway. So it was a dark couple of years where I really wasn't, wasn't me. And, um, it took some time to get back to that, but yeah, I was, I was confused fused as well like i didn't understand I'm, I'm kind of a guy that i'm not that deep of a guy but yet i always look for the purpose in things what's the purpose of this and i and i couldn't i just couldn't see any purpose in it what do you it's feel uh what do you feel uh pulled you out of that eventually was it uh just a passage of time as they say you know things tend to just sort of dissolve over time or was there something that happened in your life that sort of knocked let's say some of those feelings out to let the light in. I mean, how would you describe it? So there's, there's two different, probably two different thought processes on it in in which I believe both equally 100%. Um, One of them is, you know, you'd mentioned, I also speak at churches. I do youth camps and things like that. I'm a man of faith and and, um, that, that drives me. And I, and, and that is such an important thing to me. And there was a, there's a church a couple hours away from me that I've played at before when I, I was touring in a, in a Christian band, we played there a couple of times and it's just like biker church. And they're so cool. They're like these leather people that, you know, if you saw them in a parking lot, you'd kind of grab your kids and bring them close to you, but they're the greatest passion, most passionate, nicest people. And, and I love the church. And they had asked me if I'd come speak and I, and I was turning down all speaking engagements because I wasn't a positive person anyway, anymore. I was in this dark rut. I didn't want to say no to them. And it was months and months and months in advance. I didn't even know if I'd have a, have a voice then or not, but I took it. And I, I really felt that, you know, not to get too crazy on you, but that God was telling me, look, you go around and you tell people that when you go through things in life, 
that there's a grand purpose for you and that there's this grandiose plan and everything's going to be fine, blah, blah, blah. But there comes a point where you just start say things because you start saying things you're used to saying them, but you don't really, you may or may not mean them, right? But it was kind of a reminder of, you realize you're not in charge, right? And you realize that those words you're saying really mean something. You've just kind of forgotten it because you're, you're out in front of people and us, you know, you're a musician, man, we, we like attention. We like to have people <laughs> drawn to us. I got so wrapped up in that that I forgot the purpose behind it. The second side of that is if you, if you take apart, take, take out the, the spiritual side of it is holy moly. I just added a whole other story. I mean, there's a whole, whole other story um, to what I've been saying. And now there's, there's this other thing that I, was able to overcome. So, yeah, no, that's, uh, I hear you there, uh, especially myself included in terms of, you know, multiple battles, um, feeling like there was definitely a period of my life where it was either, you know, some, some kind of major surgery going on or, or some long extended form of rehabilitation. And I, I meet so many people, in the amputee community that will say, you know, you know, when, when does this get better? You know, when, when, when do things go back to normal? And it, 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 it's hard to answer that because so much of it, I think for myself, and I hope others would agree, so much of it is dependent on you. So much of it is dependent on your perspective. And you know, the night before my amputation, I, I was not in a good place. And I was struggling with trying to understand how things would get back to normal. And my orthopedic surgeon was was very tough love with me. He said, you know, I don't know if you're going to do any of those things again. He said, but I will tell you this, you will do everything if you want it bad enough. And I've always carried that in my back pocket and I always reevaluate when there is something I want to do, when there is something that I want to accomplish, whether that's professionally, creatively, um, how bad do I really want this? Am I willing to, am I willing to do the work? Because if I'm not, then I need to get busy with things that really matter to me. So, we have the power, um, you know, and, and uh, I, ju- I just think that so much of that messaging that you're talking about is, you know, hey, we're, we're kind of in charge. We're, we're, we're really, we are really responsible for, you know, what's going to happen next and how, yeah. how we're going to take those next challenges and, yeah, I when I was reading about your story and I saw, and then in 2014 I thought, oh wow, man, what a curveball! But obviously you're here, you're alive, you're well. Who who would you say is the person, or what's the thing that inspires you when you when you reflect on that idea? You know, where where are you drawing inspiration from? Well, honestly, um, what you just said inspires me. I, I, I draw inspiration um, from many, 
many places and it's and it's daily i mean what you just said was was really inspirational as i said and um i my wife and i adopted a little boy he's he's 11 now but we got him at seven but he was homeless for the first two years of his life mm. and he came from just a horrible situation and he's gone through so much um a lot of it that you know he, he remembers in the back of his head somewhere there um but i draw inspiration every time i see him smile because he's gone through insurmountable amount of rejection and all kinds of but but he's the happiest kid i know so that inspires me just people that that go through i i feel like i haven't gone through anything compared to what a lot of people i know have gone through so i just i draw inspiration from that for sure and, um everyday life i think um is a great way to look at it I, I I feel that as human beings, we, we all have the ability to lift each other up and we should try to utilize those opportunities as often as we can, when we can. I think it's important. I think you being here today, telling your story, you know, inspiring others, offering yourself, it's, um, it's really what we're trying to do with this podcast and not just with people, let's say, who have gone through um, limb loss, but, you know, families of people that have gone through it. And someone that is, uh, you know, interested in, you know, comeback stories and, you know, underdog stories and different things that we all tend to find inspiration from. And for me, very much, it's it's a normalization piece that so many of us just want to be viewed as normal. It's all just normal. It's a little. It's, it's, some things are a little different, but yeah. that's okay because you know we're all in this together, and we we all have struggle. Um, some some of it you can see, but I mean, Todd, you know, a lot of it you can't see. There's a lot going on um, in our minds, in our hearts, that we don't we don't see on each other, and and people walk walk around with stress and struggle all day. It's um it's sometimes a it's not a easy world that that we live in, and it can be full of disappointment. So um, that's a good point. You know, he hearing you know your your story and being able to share with you, I know is going to raise up a lot of folks out there. How, how do you prefer um, people engage you, whether that's um, with your public speaking or if they're, they've watched the podcast and they just want to reach out to you and, you know, make a comment or ask a question, um, what's the best way sure. to do that? Yeah, I have, um, I have kind of a general website, which is just toddwaits.com, T-O-D-D. W A I T E S dot com. Or if you go to rockstarsdonthate.com, um, that's my school site. That's probably my most visited uh, site. I'm, I'm readily uh, readily available to, to be contacted through those means. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I had a thought um, before we wrap up here. Um, you know, I'm an amputee drummer, you're an amputee keyboardist. Like, I don't know. Is there, should we put a call out to the other amputee musicians out there? 
I mean, that could be. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> well, I'd love to play at like one of the events, the gatherings, and and let's I, let's do it. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Dream Theater. I uh, one of the bands I toured in, I replaced the keyboard player that joined the Neil Morse band. Oh no, kidding. So, with Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater, so I <laughs> no met him. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he's in in that band with him. Although now he's back with Dream Theater. Yeah, Port Portnoy is definitely one of those guys that is a huge source of inspiration for me. Um, I, I'm I'm more of a deep groove, you know, heavy hitter, like more of a Bonham type. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm I'm blown away by these guys that just have such a high level of independence with all their limbs, and they can yeah. do just incredible things with you know multiple kick drums and i mean it's it, it's it's a little hard for me to digest as a drummer sometimes because you know i when i was coming up as a kid it was all just you know motown and soul and r and mm. r and b yeah, and yeah. i mean my first concert yeah. was the jackson five um okay so i kind of came from that you know just kind of less is more sort of attitude but I very, very much appreciate progressive rock, progressive, you know, musicians, guys that are just, you know, breaking the barriers and the boundaries of, you know, their instrument and their their pioneers and, you know, their technical, you know, sort of, um, you know, aspects of their playing. Um, you know, I, I certainly was was never like a Neil Peart, but I, I very much appreciated you know, he was almost like this drummer, like mad scientist, you know, the way yeah. he could do all of these things that I thought, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff I can't do, <laughs> but that's okay. It's all about goals, <laughs> but I think everything has its place. Yeah. I mean, you know, absolutely. No, for so. sure. It's a big musical world out there. I always say, tr try to consume as much as possible because it's all good. You know, I have a I have a uh, my uh, girlfriend's son, uh, Aaron. He's a guy who's into just a lot of of you know really digitized and very sampled like rap, and mm -hmm. I mean just stuff that's you know you could almost describe it as sort of anti drumming. It's it's just very um, sampled and lots of loops and programming and. And he sends me stuff all the time, which I love him for. And I'll be honest, I am getting to a point where I'm actually starting to like it. And okay. I'm, I'm, I'm able to at least differentiate what I don't like versus what I like. Whereas I think initially I was just sort of in this ambiguous space of, I don't even know what this is. Like, is this music? What is this? I don't understand. Where's the verse? Where's the chorus? <laughs> I'm like, where's where's the structure in this song, you know? But now that I've sort of, you know, put my toes in that pool, I think, okay, all right, this is oh, all right. This has got a cool feel to it. I like that little hook right there. Okay, that works, and I can actually sort of zero in on some of what I couldn't hear before. So again, I say, if it's out there. You know, at least give it a try, give it a listen, and uh, you know, go from there. Um, final question: How how would you like the world to perceive amputees? 
it's a great question. Um, the easy answer is just like you perceive anybody else. <clears throat> Let me give a caveat. I, I believe that my intention, my intentions are typically an A or an A plus, but sometimes my delivery hovers in the, in the D minus F area oh, right? no. or the e, whatever, because <clears throat> I, I love my fellow man. I'll do anything for anybody, but sometimes on the amputee sites with the, sometimes people um, come across as the woe is me thing. Yeah. And um, sometimes I, I should be friendlier about that instead of the, come on, suck it up. It's not a big deal. It's a hiccup in the road. You'll, you'll live life better than you did before, blah, blah, blah. And that doesn't get embraced very well. And I think when, when then people view amputees, they view them as I feel sorry for them. Yeah. I, well, they're, you know, their challenges in life must be all wrapped around that amputation and that amputation defines them. What I'd like the world to do is have people defined um, not by that, right? If, if that, like, like I learned not early on, but what I learned is if people are going to define me by my amputation, I'm going to make sure that my amputation is not something negative. It's going to be something amazing and positive. And so if people are going to tie us to our, um, our limb difference or whatever you want to call it, don't assume that that's a negative thing. View it as I've been through more than you or, or you or you or you. Um, but where are we? Like, like, what am I doing today compared to what other people are doing? And, and sometimes at the end of my life, I want to say I would have done more in life, but I only had one arm. Like, what's your excuse? And then I don't say that arrogantly. I, I say that as, um, and I and I would almost leave with this positive note, and I, I'm getting a little bit off track here, but amputees are not much different than anybody else in life. We are all just running this, this marathon, but if we're not willing to run the individual races, we'll never finish the marathon. So amputees that are out there and they're thriving or the ones that are waiting to do that, the ones that are just kind of figuring it out, <clears throat> don't assume anything negative about them. Don't assume that that defines them and that that's going to be what holds them back in life. There's enough stuff in life that'll hold us back. That's for sure. Very, very wise words, Mr. Todd Waits. I appreciate you being here. That's going to wrap it up for us today. I'm Rick Bonkowski. That is Todd Waits. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast. And I want to wish everyone health and happiness. And we will see you next time.